Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason. It's Todd Hickson Ball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. We have a great episode for you today. Today, I am talking with Dean Nelson. I feel like you're rubbing it in at this point. I kind of am. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I hate you. Dean uh, is the author of the recently released book, Talk to Me, How to Ask Better Questions, Get Better Answers, and Interview Anyone Like a Pro. He's also the founder and director of the journalism program at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego. He also writes occasionally for New York Times, Boston Globe, San Diego Magazine, yada, yada, all of that stuff as well. But he is he's also, as you can probably guess, a professional interviewer. Like Todd, just, just listen to some of these people that he's got a chance to interview. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Anne Lamont, Krista Tebbett. Philip Yancey, Michael Eric Dyson. This guy's legit. Very legit. There's like all sorts of stuff that I can talk about there. Yeah, unfortunately, we'll just need to do a round two. Okay, let's do that. Because you weren't in the interview. No, I, it's fine. I actually am in the interview. People who are listening to this are actually hearing my voice on the podcast. And so technically, I am a part of this episode. You are part of this episode, just not part of the interview. Anyway. Nobody cares. Let's move on. Gang, However, gang. before we get to that, we do have our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. Boom. What is it, Caleb? I have. I'm not pausing this thing for you. I know. Then I have I have it. I'm pulling it up right Pull now. It up, get it there. So mine is a blog post. And it is from Carrie Newhoff. It's the blog post, How to Handle Your Critics Like a Pro, Not a Toddler. Mm, I saw this one. Have you have you read it yet? Uh, yes, I have. Oh, my goodness, Todd. It's really good. This, this was such a good, if you have dealt with any criticism at all, I highly suggest that you read it because it's just super good. And I really, I mean, yeah. I, I Caleb recommends it. Okay, by the way, um... Listen to anything that Carrie writes or anything that Carrie comes out with audio-wise. Um, he's just great. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Carrie. Yeah, and I think one of the things that it made me think of real quickly is just understanding that everybody is in a different seat whenever it comes to the organization. And so sometimes your critics or the people who are giving you criticism or feedback don't necessarily see the whole picture that you see. And so that's just one thing to keep in mind. Also, he's Canadian. Yes. So there's that. So listen for that reason and that reason alone. <laughs> anyway, as we mentioned, we have a good conversation with Dean Nelson that we're going to bring you right now. Well, Dean, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thanks for having me as a guest. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're really excited. Or I guess I'm really excited. Normally, Todd would be on this call with me, but uh, we're going to have some fun today. And yeah, we can just talk about Todd, oh. you know, in his absence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's nothing you can do about it. Exactly. <laughs> well, hey, uh, really excited to dive in and talk about um, and talk about your book. But before that, <clears throat> I was just really curious of, you know, with all of your experience in journalism and interviewing, was there something that has led to this passion for curiosity and kind of how did that develop in you, whether growing up or, you know, did you find it later in life? I, th- I think even more fundamental to the curiosity issue is uh, I was always drawn to a good story. 
Mm-hmm. And so anytime you hear a good story, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in. And um, I was uh, that way early on. But I think once, um, once I got into journalism and realized not only could you be a storyteller, but you could also just, journalism gives you an excuse to just find stuff out, you know? And that, mm-hmm. that's what I, one of the things I love about journalism is you, you have permission to ask people questions and, and get information and stuff. So I wouldn't say it started with curiosity, it started with maybe being more drawn to good stories and then being a good storyteller. Uh, and then curiosity just made the storytelling better. Mm-hmm. So that fascination for storytelling, did that start from your parents or in school or where did, where did that come from? That's a, that's a really interesting question because you wouldn't think that, uh, that given my parental uh, experience, uh, that it would draw me into this. Um, you know, my dad was an accountant and my mom sold real estate. So it really had, uh, it, there, there would be nothing that would predict that I would have ended up this way. But that said, I think actually we're all drawn to good stories. I don't think it's unique to me that, uh, that we're being, uh, that we're drawn to good stories. I think as a species, uh, the, the human being is drawn to story. And that's how we learn about stuff. That's how we learn our tribe's values. That's how we learn um, about um, w- whatever it is that is going on in our community or uh, our family or whatever. You learn it through story. It's one of the things that separates us from other, uh, other members of the animal kingdom. So I'm When I say I was drawn to stories and drawn to good stories, I think that's probably fundamental to all people. But maybe in my case, uh, I I just took it a step further and said, okay, this is actually what I want to do. What are some of your favorite stories that you've heard recently? That's uh, I I love these. You're you're ready, man. You you you're prepared for this. Um, I think there's a. there's a, well, I'll tell you this, the story that I'm working on now. I'm working on a book project now with a, uh, a woman who's about to turn 97. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, a, it's a person who has, I think, really strong values and a business sense and leadership. Um, I think her story of how she came to be such a person of, uh, of substance that's just a really interesting story to me. So right now, it's the story that I'm working on. That'll it'll probably be another year or so before uh, before anybody sees it. Um, but that's that's a story that I just continually fascinates me. Mm-hmm. So as an interviewer, I'm sure you've heard lots of you've conducted lots of interviews, heard lots of stories, and I'm just wondering. Have, have there been any, or have you had seen any commonalities or patterns in the interviews that you've done to where at the end you've gone, okay, that was a, that was a great story, or that was a great interview. Have you seen any patterns that tend to follow in those interviews? Yeah, I, I, I really have, and probably not until I started writing this book, uh, Talk to Me, did I, did I start pulling those threads together. Um, but I would say the interviews that go the best or that I like the best or that I have kind of the the most similar 
vibe at the outcome are the interviews where I feel like there was a connection of humanity between the source and me, um, where we went just beyond information. There was there was almost, and this is going to sound maybe a little too cosmic, but um, uh, but there was a sense of a transcendence, you know, beyond just. I'm a reporter, you're somebody who who I need some information from, um, and I get that information and now we're out. It, if it's deeper than that, and I get a sense of who you really are as a human being, and you get a sense of who I really am as a human being, there's almost a, uh, a quality of um, almost love that, that happens there. And... Um, but if you don't like the word love, I would say at least transcendence, where you went beyond your two roles as interviewer and interviewee, and you got someplace deeper uh, about uh, about what it means to be human being. Those are the kinds of interviews that you um, you kind of hope for, uh, regardless of the story you're working on. It's, yeah, I will say this, Caleb, it's really hard to set out to get there and say, my goal for this interview is human transcendence. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of a tough, um, that's kind of a tough thing to, to, to set out as, a, as your hoped for outcome. But if you do get there, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it takes, I can see how it could be tough because it takes two people in the equation. It's not just the interviewer, it's the interviewee. And so have have you done anything or discovered anything that helps you prepare for that transcendence or that love that way in case in case the the interviewee is receptive to it that you're yeah. ready for it yeah i i think um i think the best way to prepare for that and um and maybe a better way to try to even get there is how much preparation you've done at the front end of that interview um if I'm really ready for this interview, um, then I can um, I can make the person I'm about to interview or that I am interviewing, I can make that person feel at ease. I can let them that person know he or she is in safe hands here. That I'm not I'm not gonna um, I'm not a threat. Um, and fundamentally, if I go into an interview knowing that most people want to tell their story. Um, if I go into it with that, um, then I'm kind of honoring them by by telling their story. And um, so if I have that kind of a mindset ahead of time, um, then that's usually going to help me get there. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. There are people where... Um, the interview will be maybe a little contentious or adversarial or um, or something, and so you're not going to go for transcendence. You know, if you're if you're asking a cop why he shot that unarmed kid, you're not going for transcendence there. You're just trying to get his perspective. You're trying to honor his story, but it's going to be maybe a little bit uh, adversarial. Adversarial. So it's not going to happen every time, but I think you can. The way you bring yourself to it is uh, is going to be the biggest key to whether you get there. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned the preparation process, and I know that there's the the interview prepping process, and then it even sounds like you're talking about even like a, a mental or even emotional preparation 
I think there is as well. What what does I want to get to like the specific like interview process, but speak first to what that mental and emotional prep looks like for you going into an interview. Yeah, um, it's the acknowledgement. Well, there are so many things going on in that preparation. One is I'm taking up somebody's time. If I'm if I'm trying to interview them, I've got to remember that they're actually doing me a favor by letting me uh, talk to them. There's there's I'm not paying them. I'm not uh, you know there's unless I'm appealing to their self interest that um, you know this is going to help them get their message out or whatever. But um, but typically. Those of us who do interviews, especially in journalism, we're an intrusion into somebody's life. So we have to know that going in, that uh, that people don't factor us into their day uh, oftentimes. So if you can go in and, and that, you know what that is? Essentially, Caleb, that's just humility. That's, it's just a sense of humility going into uh, an interview that this person is actually doing me a favor. Uh, so if th- that's a good uh, I think that's a good personal uh, posture uh, to address. But then the other part is knowing that this is you're 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 getting this person's insight, this person's expertise, this person's observations, which very few people are given that opportunity to tell somebody what they think. You know, it, they they might go off on some social media troll thing and tell people what they think, but that's, you know, that's pointless. But if you're actually engaging with another human being and saying, well, since you value my insight on this, let me let me just tell you. Um, so it's both the humility you bring into it and the knowledge that um, that you're kind of honoring them by by asking for their perspective. Uh, those Kind, that kind of mental preparation is what I find really helpful. Mm-hmm. So I want to get to like the actual interview prep. So yeah. whenever it comes to prepping for an interview, do you have like a typical process that you go through? Do you just Google the person? Like what does that what does that look like? Like take it from the beginning of you know you just you decide that um or even into the decision making process of how you decide who you're going to interview and then what the process looks like for preparing for that interview. Sure. Um, it depends on what I'm working on uh, as to who I'm deciding who I'm going to interview. If I'm doing a, um, an interview about an incident that happened and I just want to get people's perspectives and insights, you've just got to figure out who are the stakeholders in this thing. So in my book, uh, in my book, Talk to Me, I call them the three E's. Right. You've got eyewitnesses and you've got um, uh, explainers and you have experts. So you got to identify who those people are. That's how you decide who you want to talk to. Um, for if, I, if I've got a different purpose going on, like I do this annual writers symposium where I bring in great writers from all over the place uh, every year and I do an inter- a sit down interview in front of an audience uh, with that person. Um, I decide who we want to invite to that based on do they have a body of work that, you know, students or the community could aspire to or something like that. So it, it what I ask them and how I prepare for it um, 
depends on what is my purpose for this interview. But my my point, Caleb, is so few people actually think about why am I interviewing this person? They spend all of their energy in just getting the interview. And then when the interview starts, you know, you're thinking, you know, I should have put some thought into what we're going to talk about. Uh, and maybe in a certain order so that it's going to be comfortable. Or maybe I should have prepared a little bit better because this was all gettable stuff. So there's all of that as, as kind of the front end. Google is fine, but here's, here's the problem with Google. You, with Google, you only get what you're stating that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. There, uh, you know, so this is why the, Google has its real limitations. So I don't limit my preparation to Google. Uh, I, uh, again, I mentioned this in the Talk To Me book, but I think your best friend is any local reference librarian. I, I depend on librarians. Um, whether it's about the public library here where I live in San Diego or at the university where I work, um, they actually love helping you find stuff out. Librarians, uh, here's the thing, Caleb, librarians went to school and got degrees in finding stuff, right? That's what they do. But what we see them do in public library is, you know, tell people, hey, your time's up on that public computer or put those books back on the shelf or don't put those books back on the shelf. We don't actually see what librarians are capable of doing. But if I'm working on a story if or, or if I'm getting ready for an interview with some famous writer and I go to a reference librarian and I just say, hey, I want to know everything I possibly can about this person. I could spend hours and hours and hours of looking or you could spend 30 minutes looking and it would be fun and I'll give you some flowers or something. Um, uh, reference librarians love helping people find stuff. It's what they're trained to do. So, Long answer to your question, how do I prepare? I look as much as I can find stuff online, and then I take my hat in my hand and go to my local librarian here at my university and say, can you help me out? Mm -hmm. So I want to get to the, the interview structure and kind of what that looks like for you. And even, even in question formation and question position, what, what yeah. does that part of the process look like for you? Uh, let me see if I've got okay i i think i have something oh no no this is audio only right yeah sorry so i just reached for i have pages i just did an interview i don't know if you're familiar with a guy who um he was a pastor in turkey he was a missionary in turkey and he was uh imprisoned for two years accused of being part of a, a plot to overthrow the turkish government and he just got out last fall. I just did a big interview on Monday in front of a, a big convention. Um, I did an interview with that pastor. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got I did everything I just said to you. And I just wrote down for hours and hours and hours. I wrote down questions. I just wrote questions um, of stuff that I was finding out about him, stuff about his background, stuff about his kids, um, where he went to school, all that. So... Um, then 
to, to get to your question, then I spent probably two hours taking every one of those questions, deciding if I really wanted to ask it. And if I did, what order would I put those questions in? Because I think the order matters. Mm -hmm. um, he, um, there, there were a couple of questions that I thought might be more, it, it might make him think a little bit harder or maybe even challenge him a little bit, not in a sort of a Mike Wallace gotcha kind of way, but, um, but just more of something that was really gonna complicate his thinking a little bit. And um, you don't wanna start with that question, right? You don't wanna start there and immediately put the guy on the defensive. Uh, you wanna lead up to it. And um, so we went with what I would consider to be the easy, more obvious, affirming kinds of questions. And then you move it into a little more complicated, then a little more complicated, then a little more complicated. And by the time you get to the really complicated stuff, you're kind of on a roll with the person. Mm -hmm. And um, and then they're comfortable, and then you they're 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 ready to be um, a little more forthcoming, maybe than they would have been at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So most interviews that I do, especially if I'm doing a, doing them as a journalist. Most of the interviews I do will ultimately have kind of a tougher question, ask somebody to explain their action or their thinking or whatever, but you wanna ease up into it. Not in a manipulative way, but in a way that says, you can tell me, you, you know, I'm prepared for, for this interview, you can be comfortable with, with just being honest with me. So I do put questions in an order mm -hmm. and, um, and then um, then I always end interviews the same way. And if you've read my Talk To Me book, you know, I always ask four questions at the end of every interview. One is, how do you spell your name? You know, is, is Caleb with a K or is it with a C? Mm -hmm. I'll bet there's some who spell it with a K. Yep, I'm a C though. Is it, exactly. <laughs> is it Mason? Is it S-O-N or is it S-E-N? You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. So at, that's, that's another thing where it's just going to tell your source you care about accuracy. You'd be surprised at how important that question is in an interview. How do you spell your name? You'd be amazed. Uh, then I also ask them, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? you? Again, you'll be amazed at, well, I thought you were gonna ask about such and such, and you didn't even know about such and such. So now you're, you're off on a whole new uh, uh, kind of thing there. Uh, another question then is, can I get, get back to you if I have some questions about, you know, once I type up my, my notes and stuff, um, can I get back to you? So you want to leave the door open. And then the final question is, who else should I talk to about this topic? Mm -hmm. And there's a very good chance there's somebody kind of off in the shadows that you never even knew about who actually knows more about this topic than anybody else. And, and if you say, who else should I talk about this? Um, you'll be surprised the number of times somebody's gonna say, well, you know, the, the person I really need to talk to is over here. So I do have a structure. That's not to say everybody has a structure or that you have to have a structure. I, I, I spoke at a, um, a conference in South America in um, Barranquilla, Colombia, a year or so ago on the topic of the post-truth era. That's, that's what this big conference was about, the post-truth era. And so after I gave a presentation, then that afternoon I was gonna be interviewed in front of the audience 
by a big time magazine editor from Bogota, Colombia. And I noticed backstage before we were introduced, I noticed he didn't have any notes. You know, I've, I've got I've got pages of notes when I do interviews like this um, or and my questions all written out and everything. He had nothing. He, he, and uh, so I just said to him, I said, out of curiosity, um, I noticed you don't have any notes. You don't have a you don't, you don't even have a pen in your hand. Um, how do you prepare for these things? And do you know what you're going to ask me? And he said, for interviews like this, I ask one question. And he said, and how you answer that question then determines how the rest of that inter interview is going to go. And I thought, well, that's bold. That's a very confident guy who is um, very confident about his improvisational and follow-up skills. And he was right. He had every reason to be confident because he was fabulous. Mm -hmm. what, was, what was the one question? You know, it had it, it had something to do about Donald Trump, and uh, and I can't even remember. Uh, but it was something about you know how about journalists being the enemies of the people or something like that. Um, and then we just kind of were off to the races from there. But um, but I, I was intrigued by his method because mm -hmm. it's so completely different from my method. But yeah. that's not to say either one of us is is right or wrong. Yeah. How do you determine whenever it's time to improvise and go off of structure as opposed to staying on structure? Yeah, that's that's one of those you've got to be you've got to know where you want this interview to go. But you, at the same time, you don't want to hold on to it so tightly that if it looks like this is a really interesting little tangent over here that might be important and our audience might really be intrigued by this, um, be ready to uh, be ready to move that direction. But here's, here's what that means, Caleb. It means you've got to be listening to what they're saying. You can't just be so locked into your questions and thinking about your next question that then, you know, right in the middle of one of their answers, uh, they say to you, oh yeah, and I killed that guy. Uh, and then you just go on to your next question. Well, you got to go, what? Wait, wait, what? You killed that guy? Mm -hmm. And uh, and you got to kind of go, you got to follow that a little bit. So part of it is instinct, but a lot of it has to do with act, being an active listener and um, and really listening to what the other person is saying, which is a, I mean, that's just true in human conversation as well. That's not true just in a professional interview. If you and I are just sitting having coffee somewhere and we're just talking and you tell me something about, you know, that I, we weren't even talking about, but it's it's really kind of kind of big. And if I'm not listening, I'm just going back to my phone or something like that. Uh, uh, then you've kind of been demeaned there. You know, it just means I've, I, I wasn't listening to you, but mm -hmm. um I, I need to I need to dial in and say, well, wait a second, what was what was that about? And then follow that for a little while. Ultimately, though, you want to get back to your original purpose of the interview. So mm -hmm. um, one of the points I make in the book is somebody's going to control that interview, and it always has to be you. Mm -hmm. It always has to be you. So then you can bring it back. Okay, so I got a couple of follow-ups from that. Right. So how what what that means you're actively listening, Caleb. You know that. <laughs> well, right? yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's something I want to get to. I want to talk. I want to ask you about. So what what helps you take control of the interview? And then mm -hmm. back to the active listening part. What has helped you become a better active listener? 
Yeah. Um, the let, let me uh, address your last question first. Um, mm -hmm. What has helped me become a better active listener? Uh, part of it is uh, discipline of uh, of really uh, disciplining your attention, um, where where you've 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 got to be able to concentrate. And uh, I don't think you're either born with that or not born with that. I, I think that's a, a skill you can develop. Uh, ask anybody who's been married for a while whether um, whether they were born with the skill to really deeply listen to another human being. Most of us would say no. Um, but after you've been married for a while and you realize, no, there's value in really deeply listening to the other person. And it's also in your self-interest to deeply listen to that uh, to that other person, you can develop that. And so I would say that is um, that is one way to think about actively listening, not being distracted by what's my next question or what am I thinking about or oh look there's a squirrel or something like that. It's it's more um, just having the discipline of focusing. That's that I, I really do believe you can you can uh, develop that even if you have some attention deficit problems. I still think you can develop it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I say I don't say that lightly. I've dealt with college students, you know, for more than 30 years who who are all over the place on attention deficit. I think you can focus. Mm -hmm. I think you can. So um, now I've forgotten your first question. I must not have been listening. That <laughs> That's OK. Um how how do you take control, Evan? Oh, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. give it don't give it over to someone else. Yeah, and control is just kind of a weird word. It makes it sound like your control is not the same thing as dominate. So um, so we got to make sure that you get that kind of negative vibe about control. Kind of get that off the table. Um, what I would say, first of all, the necessity. Let me address that. The necessity of taking control is that you know what you want to accomplish in this interview. You know where where it's going to go and and when you want it to end or or what your outcome is going to be. The person you're talking to doesn't necessarily know that and may either by just default kind of take control of it and just start talking about stuff and kind of getting off track or if it's a really media savvy person, I would consider it to be maybe a politician or somebody like that. They might not want to go into some of the areas you want to go into. And so they take control and they just start rattling off stuff about things where they're basically just running out the clock. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm aware that there are reasons why other people want to take control of the interview from you. But here's my point. You have to get it back. And the way you can get it back, I think you can do it with respect and without being insulting. I think you can interrupt a person respectfully. If it's face to face, you can raise your hand like you're in class. You can wave, you know, your hands at the person uh, if, if you're in person. I have seen people just reach across a table and very gently and in a non-sexual way, just pat the person on the arm and say something like, I know what your website says. I know what your staff says. I want to know what you think. So now you've brought it back under mm -hmm. your control. If it's on if it's on the phone, 
Uh, it's a little tougher, but I think you can gently and respectfully cut the person off and say, uh, hold, hold, excuse me, excuse me. Um, I asked for 20 minutes of your time, and I know that is really interesting to you, but I've got about four other questions I need to get to. And if we can get to that point that you're trying to raise here, if we still have time at the end, let's do that. But I need us to get back to um, the point that I was raising. I think you can do that in a gentle and respectful way. Mm-hmm. Would uh, And I'm sure the book covers a, a lot of them. What would you say are maybe one or two other critical skills that have helped you as an interviewer? I mean, you've talked about humility. You've talked about the follow-up and even um, taking control of the interview. Would there be any others? Oh, I think the number one thing, Caleb, is preparation. Mm-hmm. If uh, in most interviews that you do, unless you're talking about like an eyewitness interview to an accident or to a meteor crash or, you know, whatever, um, you probably should know the answers to the questions you're asking before you ever ask them. Um, And so what that does is it allows you then to get into a more authentic human perspective with the person than just getting information. So if I were to say, like, like I interviewed this, this guy, this missionary who was in, uh, in prison in Turkey, if I would have said in my interview with him, now, how long have you been, how long had you been in Turkey before you were in prison? What a waste of time. That's a gettable fact, right? So instead, I would say, in your 23 years of being a missionary, have you ever seen anything like this? So I'm telling him, I've, I've done my homework on you, mm-hmm. and now I'm trying to get his very specific human perspective on something. That's the difference between a good interview and an interview that an orangutan could have done. So we've the, the preparation piece, I think, is 90%. Of, uh, of of a good interview. All of those other dimensions that you just mentioned, those are all very important. Preparation is number one. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I want to ask you about is part of the interview is is note taking as well. And that's yeah. that's a that's a fascination for me because I'm always trying to whenever I'm interviewing somebody and you know not recording it as as we are right now, mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that I get all the information down as complete as possible. And so I'm just wondering, what does that process look like for you? Have you learned any tips or tricks that helps you get the most information out while yeah. still simultaneously trying to listen to the person as best you can? Yeah. And, and again, this is this is an acquired skill. This is not something you're either born with. This is not a genetic predisposition. You, you, you can learn how to do this. So yeah, I take notes. When I talk to people, if it's a, a an interview with someone, a celebrity or a, somebody uh, in politics or whatever, I also record it. But um, just because you're recording it doesn't get you off the hook from taking notes because we've all had the experience where something happens, a battery goes out, or you know, there's there's some sort of the grid goes down or or, or something where. Um, the uh, the recording device just doesn't work as well, and and so now you've got your notes. But you're absolutely right in that when you take notes, there's no way you're going to be writing down every single word the person has said. And uh, so the way I do it isn't this isn't necessarily the only way to do it. But the way I do it is I write down 
quote fragments. I wrote, I write down nouns and verbs. I write down um, a, maybe a, a, an unusual or a quirky way somebody said something. So I write that down. And then maybe if the person gets off track a little bit with something else that they're talking about, I go back and I fill in while they're talking. Uh, I fill in some of those things so that I've really, really got it. If you're recording it and taking notes, I always advise to have a recording device that has a pretty uh, easy to see display of the timing uh, of the time on it. So that um, if somebody says something really interesting, uh, I can look at the time display on my recording device and see when that was said. That was minute nine uh, and 40 seconds. So I just write in the margins of my notes, 940, and then write down a couple of key things. So now I can go right to that spot <clears throat> and, uh, and, and find it as opposed to listening to the whole thing until I find it. So a couple of things like that. I will say this. <coughs> I'm sorry for messing up your audio right there. Um, I will say this, that, that a lot of people have begun to depend on these programs that are like talk to text, where you record it and it, and it immediately goes to um, a printed, um, either a document or on a display or something. Those are notorious for getting words wrong. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. So we had a, one of our sports writers at the university where I work. She was interviewing <clears throat> the basketball coach at the beginning of the season, and she's recording it. She's not taking notes. Um, so right there, she's violating my uh, one of my principles here, right? So she records the interview, and uh, and the story that comes out has the basketball coach saying, "We're going to be." much sharper aesthetically. Well, what he said was athletically. So he meant to say, we're going to be better athletes, right? But since it came out in her talk to text program, aesthetically, it just meant that our basketball team is going to look really sharp. You know, our <laughs> socks are going to match. You know, that's basically what he meant by we're going to be great aesthetically. Uh, what he said was athletically. Athletically, mm -hmm. you can't always depend on those programs to give you an accurate portrayal. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, as as I was preparing for the interview, yeah. I saw I just looked back on some of your previous interviews and saw that you've interviewed people like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Krista yeah. Tippett, and Deepak yeah. Chopra. And I, I mean, I'm just wondering, like, do you ever find do you ever find yourself getting starstruck, or even like it could be someone to where you're like oh my goodness, I can't believe that I get the chance to interview this person. And if so, how do you prepare in such a way that you don't bring that, that starstruckness or that stardom yeah. on the stage? Yeah. Well, you know what this reminds me of? I don't know if you've ever seen the Saturday Night Live clip of Chris Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. And it's just a hysterical, hysterical clip because he's so smitten by how, by being, interviewing Paul McCartney, that he has no questions and he keeps mouthing to the camera, this guy is awesome. You know, it's just this hilarious thing. So uh, I have had that temptation, but um, 
I, I would say maybe only once or twice during the interview have I just been struck with, oh my gosh, I am in the presence of greatness itself. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I'm a, I'm, I'm 99% of the time, I'm focused on, let's make this a really, really good conversation between the two of us. And, and here's how you stay out of uh, the trap of just hero worship or that Chris Farley, this guy is awesome kind of um, response. The way you stay out of that is, well, I'll give you an example. With Kareem, uh, I wanted to talk to Kareem about his life as a writer, not as a basketball player. Kareem's a really good writer. Mm-hmm. Most celebrities have ghost writers and things like that. <clears throat> Kareem, I've read his stuff for years. He's a really good writer. But I was also making an assumption, Caleb, that probably not that many people talk to him about writing and about communicating big ideas and important ideas about race and class and poverty and and faith and things like that. So um, I wanted to make it a conversation unlike any other conversation he's had. And so as long as I'm kind of focused on that, then I'm not starstruck because I know we're, we're getting into some stuff here that, um, that is going to be interesting to him. If I just asked him about, how'd you learn how to shoot that sky hook? You know, then I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, then what's the point of my interviewing him? Everybody's asked him that. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm engaging the person at a level that they're probably not used to engaging, and that takes some creativity, and we're back to preparation, um, then I think we're going to have a really good conversation here. And one, and then you just kind of forget the fact that, oh, this guy is a superstar. Now we're, we're talking about ideas. We're talking about Islam. We're talking about uh, uh, Harlem. We're talking about all sorts of cool stuff. So the, it's the, conversa- the conversation that ends up sweeping you away as opposed to the hero worship. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I want to ask you, about and this this kind of ties in a little bit to the previous question as well is how how do you conduct interviews or ask questions of people who um, you either might have a little bit of a conflict of interest with whether you know you find them disagreeable or society maybe finds them controversial or like what what have you learned about conducting interviews and asking questions of people like that you know, I, Caleb, I love the way you're doing this. Uh, you're asking really, really good questions. Uh, you probably don't need my book, but but everybody else does. Um, but I have a whole chapter on interviewing those you love and those you loathe. Mm-hmm. And I have had a couple of experiences where I realized in the middle of my interview that I actually despise the person that I'm talking to. And, and that, that's a conflict. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to perpetuate this person's ideas. Um, but here's the thing. What, what is your commitment? Your commitment is to getting good, honest, deep, complicating uh, ideas across to your audience. That's your job. Um, as long as you don't just kind of lapse into perpetuating lies or, or propaganda or maybe just kind of hero worship on the other side, um, I think you can do your interview as long as you're committed to actually 
getting some good human interaction and uh, and and insight and nuance even uh, out into the public. And I think you can do it even with people that you find loathsome. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but but I, yeah. let me address the flip side. Yeah. What if it's somebody that you just think is so awesome? You want to, you just want everybody to know about this guy. Well, you have the same obligation. That's not your job is to be his PR agent or her PR agent mm-hmm. or to perpetuate again just some sort of an image. Your job is to give an audience the best obtainable version of the truth that you can that you can come up with with that person. And um, so really what you're asking is what's the role of ego in in an interview? Isn't that essentially what you're getting at? Yeah. Yep. And that's I think you've got to be so self-aware in these. Am I interviewing this person because I'm a fan or am I interviewing this person because I think there's really something important? There's an important idea going on in here. And that's what your, your commitment has to be. If it's self-promotion or if it's getting into an argument or whatever, you know that the ego has taken control and now we're not interested in getting good verifiable truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons why Todd and I started the podcast is because we, we believe that everyone has, everyone has an idea at least worth listening to. Whether, I agree. Whether, we're, whether we agree with it or yeah. not, there's something that we can learn from if we're just willing to listen. And, and maybe after we listen to it, we realize, actually, it's a bad idea. <laughs> or actually, this, this person is, is lying. And, and there are some very famous people out there who perpetuate lies. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a, I suppose they have a right to uh, have, their, have their point of view out there. You don't have to perpetuate it, though. Mm-hmm. Yep, completely agree. So on a little bit a lighter note, and you've, you've kind of addressed this uh, with some questions that you tend to wrap up with, but do you have any favorite questions that you like to ask people? You know, one, one of the things, I have a new favorite question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not one that's stood uh, very much of a test of time because I've, uh, I've only used it recently. Are you, uh, Ira Glass, who does the podcast This American Life, and, uh, uh, or the show This American Life, mm-hmm. he's got a great question that I've totally stolen. And, uh, and he probably stole it from somebody else. So it's not like it was, nothing's original. Mm-hmm. Um, he asks people, is this how you thought things were going to turn out for you? Is this the direction you set out in your life uh, to be, you know, whatever it is, a professor of journalism or a podcaster? Is this where you thought it was going to go? Uh, and if so, um, so what was, what was the idea? What was the plan? Where did that come from? If not, what did you think was going to happen? Those are those. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. That's just a great question, and it provides such insight into a a, a person's experience and uh, personality. Um, so that's my new uh, favorite question. But my point is, if you're really prepared for this interview, you actually already know the answer to that question, which means that you can help kind of shape where the where the next part of that conversation goes. Mm-hmm. So. I'm just, I mean, you kind of threw a softball up there. So I would just want to ask you, you know, after 40 plus years of journalism and interviewing people, is this how you thought things would turn out? 
Caleb, I am so impressed. You followed up. You you paid attention. Way to go, man. Um, no, this is not. And this is what makes that question so interesting. The answer is almost always no. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, no, I was going to be a uh, medical doctor. My entire growing up years, all of my jobs through high school and college had to do with the medical field. I was going to be a, a I'd worked on ambulance crews. I'd worked as an orderly in ERs. I was a surgeon assistant. I was pre-med in college. No, this is not how I thought it was going to work out. Um, it's a long story. I won't bore you with it. But um, no, uh, the, and the way I found journalism was uh, I, w- I was just sort of lost vocationally. And, um, and, and an uncle on my wife's side just kind of took an interest in me and um, just helped me kind of reset my course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was living in urban Detroit, running a coffee house. I had no marketable skills once I decided I wasn't going to uh, do the medical thing. And... Um, you know, it's not because I got kicked out for, uh, I, I never even applied to med school. I studied for it and went all the way through all the hoops and then just never applied and realized that's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I was just lost uh, for about three years. And then um, I had some sort of a Yoda who kind of stepped into my life and um, helped give me a reset. So let me ask you, is this how you thought your life was going to turn out? <laughs> no, it's it's not, but I would say in a lot of different aspects, it's better than I thought it would be. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Isn't it awesome how that works out? It, 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 it really is. Yeah. What, what did you want to do? Uh, so I'm, I'm actually, a, I'm a pastor at a okay. church and uh, at my dad's church. And I knew, I knew okay. that I wanted to go into ministry, but yeah. um, I did not want to work at my dad's church. Right. And, and here you are. And here I am. Here I am. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What, uh, what, what have you learned through 40 plus years of journalism that you wish you could just share or impart to someone who is, you know, either a young interviewer or a young journalist? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I think I would, I, I wish I would have uh, listened more early on as opposed to giving my opinion on things. Um, and this is one of the things I, I really try to uh, address with uh, my university students is nobody really cares what you think. The reason you're doing journalism is to find out what other people think. Mm-hmm. And that's that's actually a really, really hard thing for people to accept is that their opinion on things, their perspective on things as, as the student journalists is not that interesting. And... Um, I was full of my own um, uh, probably uh, self-importance when I first started out in journalism. Uh, I didn't learn the ego lesson as early as I uh, would have liked. I I would have liked to have been a little more reflective, maybe listened a little bit better. I mean, you still see reporters do this, though. You've watched interviews on television or online as, as much as I have where you you look at this, the person's asking the question, you're just thinking, shut up and let him answer. This isn't about you, dude, or, or ma'am. This isn't about you. This is about the person you're talking to. I wish I would have come to that place 
sooner in my life. And that's one of the things I try to get across to my students. Mm -hmm. So just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few favorite questions that we love to ask everybody. All right. At the I'm end ready. Of the I, I know what more of them are going to be. <laughs> yeah. The, the first one is what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right now? I think the, uh, when you're a writer, you're constantly putting out words. And, and I know this isn't, this isn't a completely tangible, um, equivalent, but I look at writing the same way I do um, as, as if it's a well, you know, like a, a, a well of water. You're constantly drawing out of it, drawing out of it, drawing out of it as a writer. You got to fill that well. And whether that well is with words or uh, a nourishment of your spirit um, or whatever, uh, and the way I do it is by reading. I don't, I don't think you can be a good writer if you aren't reading. And so I think the most useful thing I do is I read good stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I try to have a good sounding board community around me that tells me when I'm full of crap. Give us, give those, us a, those two things I would say would be the most helpful. Give us a quick uh, rec one or two book recommendation that has been uh, really good that you've read recently. Uh, I don't read a lot of fiction. But some fiction that I've read recently that I think is absolutely stunning, there's a Swedish guy named Frederick Bachman mm -hmm. who uh, has a book, uh, his, the book he became most famous for and it became a movie is called A Man Called Uwe. It's O-V-E. Uh, and then his most recent one is, uh, I think, well, he's got a more recent one, but the most recent one I've read is called Bear Town about a little small town hockey team in uh, a, a little town in Sweden. I love his writing. So I find that helpful uh, just from a storytelling perspective. I think he's, uh, I think he's great. Mm -hmm. Probably the best nonfiction book I've read recently is by a, uh, a, a surgeon, an Indian surgeon, a, a, a guy by the name of Atul Gawande. It's called Being Mortal. Mm -hmm. uh, that just the value of acknowledging the humanity in each one of us, whether we're alive or whether we're dying. I think that was a really, really profound nonfiction book. So those two have been very, those two authors have been really inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. What do you wish I would have asked you about that we haven't covered yet? Uh, I think you've done pretty well. Um, I think uh, maybe. No, no, I think. I think you've done well. I think you've done well. You prepared yourself well for this. <laughs> what, what advice would you give to someone who is eager to learn? About interviewing? Just uh, learning uh, in general. Um, a couple of things come to mind is don't just read or expose your mind to stuff that you already think hmm. or the, uh, the, the stuff that you um, – the, the same go-to voices all the time. I would say intentionally complicate your thinking. Mm -hmm. That would be uh, one thing. And then I'm just thinking as a writer, one of the best pieces of advice I could give is to read uh, read above your station. So if, uh, if, if you kind of uh, are at a certain level of, of writing, Read writers who are better than you. 
and it's just going to draw you into their uh, into their vortex a little bit more. Mm -hmm. If you could have everyone learn one thing, what would it be? I would say um, listen more and speak less. And then lastly, what are you learning right now? I'm learning how to manage my time uh, better. I used to say yes to everything. And I still tell my students, because when they're young, I, I still think that's valid. Say yes to everything. Um, I don't for myself anymore uh, that saying no to some things is, is uh, okay. Protecting mm -hmm. your uh, private time, uh, protecting your mind from how much time you spend on a screen, um, protecting silence and time to reflect and, and be a little more contemplative. Um, affirm that. That's mm -hmm. probably uh, where I'm, I'm learning the most right now. Is there like something, one or two practical things that you've learned that help you do that? There, there really are. Um, when I get up in the morning, I mean, people can talk, to put it in terms you, you probably have used, you know, where people talk about having their morning uh, devotions or whatever. Um, I, I use it as a kind of a quiet time where I um, have a breathing and meditation uh, kind of time. I'm, I'm a, a Christian, but I, I have a hard time calling it prayer in the way I was raised to call something prayer. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I associate my breathing with, uh, I breathe in and, uh, and then, then I think about uh, whatever it is I'm thinking about, whether it's my wife or my kids or whatever project I'm working on or this interview, I will, as I exhale, I have a thought that says this interview belongs to God. And then I inhale and then I'll say, my wife belongs to God, you know, and ultimately I belong to God. So um, that I find to be a way to to begin the day is before you do anything on the screen. It's before you read anything, before you talk to anybody. It's a way to to declare reality at the beginning of a day. Mm -hmm. Well, Dean, this has been so much fun, and I've enjoyed it so much. And I know that our audience and our listeners are going to want to pick up your book, Talk to Me. Where's the best place for them to go to pick up the book and to continue to learn from you as well? You can find it in a number of ways. And by the way, I've enjoyed my uh, chatting with you as well, Caleb. You were well prepared. You kept this thing moving along. Uh, you knew what you wanted to ask and where you wanted to go. So props to you. You don't have to read my book. Everybody else should. Um, <laughs> But, uh, I mean, the typical places, you can get it on Amazon, uh, you can get it on my website. If, and if you want to look at interviews that I've done with writers, mm -hmm. like the Kareem interview, just yeah. go to my website, which is deannelson.net, and there's a tab on there that says interviews with writers. Um, it's got the Deepak one on there, the Krista Tippett one that you mentioned, and then the ones I just did this past, uh, this past year. With one of them with Nettie Okorafor, the new Black Panther comics writer. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a new interview with her, uh, and she's got a uh, Wakanda Forever and yeah. all these things. Um, so that's on there. So if if you you can get the book, you can order the book on my website. Basically, is what I'm saying, mm -hmm. deannelson.net. But you can also see 24 years 
worth of interviews that I've done with writers um, uh, on there. But any bookstore, I just saw it in a Barnes and Noble uh, uh, just a couple of days ago. So I know it's uh, I know it's in the stores. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the Learner's Corner today. I'm uh, happy to be here. I hope we get to chat again. Caleb J. Mason, what did you love about that interview? I mean, I think what I what I loved about it is just what he kept harping on about just listening, active listening, and how really the best conversations come from people who listen really well, which, Todd, I know that you struggle with, so I bet you took a lot from this interview. I don't struggle with listening. I struggle with listening to boring people like you. Anyway. Hashtag burn. Anyway. If you I love you. <laughs> Just so that everybody knows, I actually do love Caleb. He's my friend. Yeah. We'll see. Anyway, as uh, if you enjoyed this episode at all, you are definitely going to want to make sure that you don't miss our next episode. And how do you make sure that you don't miss that next episode? You're going to do that by sponsoring. By sponsoring. If you want to sponsor, if you want to sponsor that's right. If you want to sponsor the podcast, please do that. Um, you can do that by subscribing. It's free to subscribe. It's the way that I never miss an episode of any shows that I love and listen to on a regular basis. You know what? There's just a little notification. The notification pops up on your phone. You can go, woohoo! It's there. And we put that up at midnight on Tuesday nights. So you can listen in the UK at 6 p.m. dinner time there Monday night hey, 9 p.m. on the West Coast Monday anyway, night Anyway in our next episode we're going to be talking with Daniel Hill we're both going to be on this interview and Hey how about that He has authored a book called White Awake an honest look at what it means to be white and you're definitely not, not going to want to miss that episode and to make sure you don't subscribe to the podcast also, you can leave us a rating and write a review if you've learned anything from any one of our episodes, whether it be the one today or one in the, in the past. I was getting ready to say one of the present, but that would kind of be this episode. Mm. And you definitely can't listen to episodes in the future. Just throwing that out there. Anyway. Hashtag awkward. Anyway, uh, leave us a rating and write a review. It can literally take two minutes or less to just go on to Apple Podcasts, leave the rating, write, a re- write the review, and we will appreciate it a lot do it anyway thanks for listening to today's episode of the learner's corner until next time well actually it won't be until next time my name is always caleb mason unless you change it i'm not planning on that we're gonna plan we're gonna play a game one day where we figure out what you we would change your name to i'm not planning on it uh, okay well we can still play the game my anyways name his is, name is my caleb. name is caleb mason and my name is not caleb mason it is definitely todd hicksonball until next time Keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.